Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. This is uh, the first time since I've been here that we've been gathered in this room on this Sunday, Easter Sunday. And somebody told me, I was thinking like two years because the pandemic's been two years, but I guess there's a whole nother year because the pandemic started just before Easter. It's been like three calendar years since we've gathered and celebrated Easter in the same room, in person, as a church family. So I'm excited. Are you excited? I, uh, I'm also on kind of a sugar high because I had one of Cheryl's hot cross buns and I had a butter tart and uh, a strawberry turnover. So I'm just feeling like, you know, it's Easter. Let's just... And this, this is a different Easter. It's... It's a unique Easter. This isn't your average Easter. This isn't just Easter moving forward as per usual. This isn't normal Easter. This is a special Easter. This is different. It should shock us. It should surprise us. It should change us. We shouldn't be the same. Easter should grab our attention like nothing else because this is Easter. Do you like the logic in that? I've been thinking, I've been praying, I've been studying through the Passion Week as we've been going through the Passion Week, that final week leading up to the cross, the grave, the empty tomb, the risen Savior that we're celebrating today. What gets me is the shock factor, the surprise, the, the awe, the shattered expectations that Steve talked about last week. Every moment where you just want to say, That's not how I expected the story to go. That's not what I thought was going to happen. Don't you wish you could just go back and hear the Easter story for the first time again? And and hear how Jesus is teaching and healing and leading and saving and transforming lives and demon possession and oppression and affliction and all of his teaching with authority and with power and then, wait a second, he's going to be betrayed? He's going to be denied. He's going to be deserted. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be flogged and mocked. He's going to be crucified. What's going to happen? Sit on the edge of your seat, some suspense, some thrill. Like, is Jesus really going to rise from the dead like he said he was going to rise from the dead? Don't you wish you could go back and hear it for the first time? I wish I could have been there for Palm Sunday. I talked about Palm Sunday last week. Last week was Palm Sunday in our calendar year. The start of the week, this Passion Week, Jesus says, Mark chapter 11, I love this, it always catches me by surprise, go into the village in front of you, and immediately upon entering, you're going to find a couple donkeys. There's going to be a mama donkey, there's going to be a baby donkey, uh, there's going to be a foal, there's going to be a colt. Get the colt, untie the colt, and bring it to me. And if anybody should say anything, just say, the Lord needs them, and he'll send them right along. I just picture the disciples like, okay, Jesus, you want us to, uh, okay, here's the village. We'll walk into the village and uh, we're just going to untie a donkey and bring it to you. And nobody's going to have any issue with that. Okay, here we go. We enter the village. Guess what? There's two donkeys. Look at this, Peter. It's just like Jesus said. Let's go over. Let's start untying. Uh, Andrew, the the people are looking at us. They're going to say something. And the bystanders say, "Um, excuse me, you're untying our donkey? What's that all about? It would be like modern day, like hot wiring somebody's car while they're standing in the parking lot in front of you. Maybe going onto their farm and hopping in their tractor and just firing it up and driving down the laneway. They say, um, what did Jesus tell us to say? Oh yeah, the Lord needs them. 
Oh, well then by all means, take them. Go right ahead. Head on your way. Do I have a disconnect here, guys? Anything there? That's not how I expected that to go, right? I feel like I'm sounding like I'm in a cardboard tube or something. Need some different batteries? Uh, Last Sunday... Steve was talking about shattered expectation. Expectation versus reality. He showed those funny pictures. and The Messiah that the people expected was not the reality of who Jesus ended up being to them. They wanted this conquering king riding in on a white horse, freeing them from the Roman oppression and occupation. And instead what they got was a suffering servant on a young donkey who seemed to care more about the overbearing rules of the religious Jews than the occupation of the Romans. And he goes straight to the temple and he kicks out all of the money changers and the thieves. And Jesus flipping tables the first day of the Passion Week. That's not really how we expected this week to go. Like, Jesus, did you think maybe this might paint a target on your head with the religious Jewish crowd? Not how we expected this week to start. Uh, Two weeks ago, we talked, I say we, I guess I kind of wrote the sermon and then Steve preached it. Thank you, Steve. But um, we talked about the Lord's table, the upper room. And it's kind of similar to the whole donkey thing. Jesus looks at the disciples, Mark chapter 14. He says, go into the city this time. Go into Jerusalem. Walk through the doors. Uh, You're going to see a man carrying a a jar of water. He's going to meet you. Follow him. It's not going to be weird or anything. No, just, just follow him. And wherever he enters, just Walk in the door behind him and uh, find the master of the house and say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he's going to show you a large upper room. Guess what? It's furnished and it's ready. So go and do that. And I just picture John and Peter, who are the guys who went and did this. Like, okay, so last time we were just supposed to get a young donkey to use for the day and to return. Okay, that's one thing. Now you want us to go to somebody's house? And you want us to say, knock on the door, like, um, hey, uh, we've got 13 grown men who want to come for a dinner party tonight. Would that be okay with you if we use your guest room? Okay, I guess we're going to go do it. John and Peter walk into the city and they're like, that must be the guy. There's a man carrying a jar of water, which is peculiar because in this day, in this context, in this culture, it would have been the woman's job to collect the water for the household. Here's a man carrying a jar of water on his head. That's odd. We'll follow him from a distance. And we'll get to the house and I guess this is the house. We'll peek our head in the door. Uh, excuse me, who's the master of the house? Hi. Yeah, I've got a favor to ask. Uh, I know today's the Passover and it's a busy day, Jewish holiday and whatnot, and we probably should have had this plan before, but... Um, We're looking for a place to host a Passover festival with 13 grown men. Would you happen to have a spot? Yeah, I do. Why? Who's asking? Uh, What are we supposed to say to him? What did Jesus tell us to say? Oh, yeah. He said, um, uh, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Does that ring a bell with you? Oh, why didn't you say so? Come on in. Let me show you the room. Guess what? It's furnished. It's ready. It's prepared. You just have to get the food. It's all yours for the evening. Okay. That's not really how we expected this to go. And then we talked about the characters around the table as they sit down. And Jesus says, uh, I'd like to start by saying I've really um, been waiting to enjoy this Passover feast with you before I suffer. And uh, I want to start the conversation by saying, one of you around this table is going to betray me. 
And uh, the disciples are like, okay, that's kind of an awkward way to start the dinner party, Jesus. Usually the Passover goes like this. I don't know if you remember that or not, but is it me? Is it him? Is it them? John, John, you're sitting beside Jesus. Can you just like nudge him, whisper in his ear? Is it me? I just want to know. And then Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, I've got something for you too. Um, You're going to deny me. And Peter's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not how I expected this to go. Um, You're pointing at me, right? I'm Peter. I'm the leader of the disciples. You know, I'm the one who's about to pull out my sword for you, Jesus, right? I'm Peter on this rock. You're going to build your church. I'm going to deny you? Jesus, Jesus, let, let me correct you for a moment. I would rather die with you than deny you. And Jesus says, well, actually, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me not once, not twice, but three times. You just see Peter melt in his seat like, that's not how I saw this going when I knocked on this house and we set up this Passover meal. This is not how I saw this week going. Jesus, Friday night, we talked about the arrest, the trial, the torture, the crucifixion. We talked about them really briefly and we talked about why Good Friday is actually good. It's good news for us. The devil thought that he'd won. The disciples thought that they'd lost. They deserted Jesus. They ran. They fled. Pilate, he's an interesting character, isn't he? This Roman official, he thought Jesus was innocent. I washed my hands clean of this man's blood. My wife had this crazy dream, and I don't want to be involved in this man, so I'm going to hand it back over to you Jews. The Jewish religious leaders, they they feared the people because Jesus was so popular with the people. This this guy that they thought was blaspheming, claiming to be the son of God because he was the son of God. And then the crowd is gathered there. They bribe the crowd. The crowd's just there for the entertainment, the mockery, to see if they can reach in and pull his beard and spit on him, call him names. And then there's this soldier standing at the foot of the cross. Jesus breathes his last. It is finished. And that soldier says, surely this was the son of God. All of these different thoughts and expectations and perspectives all in this same story. But you know what I think really struck the disciples that night? We talked about it on Friday night, Isaiah 53. Like a lamb before its shears is silent, so Jesus opened not his mouth. Jesus, we call you the master teacher for a reason. We call ourselves your disciples for a reason because you're teaching us. You have the words of life. Where else are we going to go? He taught as one who had authority. We remember the story that we've heard. It's infamous. When you were 12, you confounded the wisdom of the priests in the temple, and then your parents found you, and don't you know that I need to be about my father's business? Jesus, you're a teacher. With a few words from your mouth, you could confound the wisdom of whoever was trying to challenge you. Don't you remember when that woman was caught in adultery and thrown at your feet, and you're writing with your finger in the sand, you stand up, and they think they've got you trapped. The law of Moses says that we should stone her. What do you say? You remember those words that you said? Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then we watched them all from the oldest to the youngest. They just dropped their stones and walked away because they were convicted in their heart of their own sin. Then you said to that woman, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus, just a few days ago, we watched you. The religious leaders came up and they they saw you in this moment where you were presented with a tax. Are you going to pay tax? And they called you out. They said, is it lawful for us to pay tax or or should we we give it to God? Is it right that we pay tax to Caesar? We got him trapped now. What's he going to say? Is he going to challenge Rome? Is he going to challenge the Jews? Is he going to... And Jesus says, what image and inscriptions on it? Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they're confounded. They don't know how to respond. 
Then the Sadducees come, and the Sadducees, they don't believe in a resurrection. They must have been shocked Easter Sunday morning when they checked out the tomb, and it was empty, and the stone was rolled away, and the earth quaked. They said, okay, Jesus, we got a question for you. There's this woman. She marries this man. He dies. So she marries his brother. He dies. So she marries another. 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 He dies. So she marries another, and he dies. And she dies. In the resurrection, whose wife will she be? We got him trapped now. Like, how far of a reaching question can you come up with? Jesus is like, here's what it's all about, guys. And they're confounded and they're convicted to their spirits, to their core. They walk away and it says, nobody dared challenge him from that point forward. Because they made a mockery of themselves. Because when Jesus opens his mouth, he speaks the word of life with authority. And nobody can challenge him. He confounds the wisdom of the wise. But why not here? As a sheep is silent before it shears, so he opens not his mouth. Peter's warming himself by the fire in the courtyard. He can hear the trial taking place. He's, he's been following this. Why doesn't Jesus speak up? Why doesn't he say something? With just a breath from his mouth, just a few short words. I'm sure in one word, Jesus could just send them all home convicted. Stop the whole thing. But Jesus doesn't say a thing. He doesn't stand up for himself. He doesn't defend himself. He just goes through with it willingly. That's not how I thought this was going to go. Jesus is dead. What were the last three years all about? I thought he was going to change the world. There are still so many people who need to be healed, who need to be taught, who need to be served. So many hungry, so many hurting, so many broken, so many oppressed, so many ashamed. Now Jesus is gone. He's six feet under. There's a stone sealing his fate. There's nothing we can do. What was this all for? That's not how I thought the story was going to go. But why not is the question I want to ask. Why did they not expect this? Why did they not know it was going to happen? Why were their thoughts so far away from God's redemptive plan that he had crafted that Jesus submitted to willingly, yet not my will, but thine be done. How did they miss that? <coughs> Here's what I want to talk about. I've just got three passages of scripture from the Gospel of Matthew. If somebody could grab me a drink, that would be incredible. Just a glass of water would be awesome. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. Jesus told them what was going to happen multiple times. Over and over again. How did they still miss it? Let's look at Matthew 16, verse 21. He's talking about the leaven of the Pharisees. You remember? And the disciples are like, oh yeah, we forgot bread. We should have brought bread. And he's like, don't you get it? I just fed all these thousands of people. Why do you think it's about bread? It's not about bread. It's about the sin, the shame, the wickedness of the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began. He didn't just do it once. He's, he's starting now to show them, to demonstrate, to explain, to illustrate to his disciples, he must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes. There's the place, there's the characters who would condemn him, and he would be killed. He's being pretty blunt with it. And then he says, on the third day be raised. That's pretty clear. That's the Easter story, isn't it? That's what we've been remembering and, and celebrating this weekend. Verse 22, Peter must have got it. He must caught wind of it. <clears throat> Peter takes him aside. He begins to rebuke him. 
Can't you just see Peter with his finger up? Jesus, come, come over here. I got I to gotta talk to you for a moment. Thank you very much, Glenda. Peter begins to rebuke him, verse 22, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Jesus, this isn't part of the plan. You're the Messiah. You're the conquering king. Like, buck up, man. Cowboy up. Let's get going with this. What are you talking about? You're going to die. You're going to be raised on the third day. This isn't part of the plan. Peter pulls him aside. And then Jesus says these words to Peter. Jesus turns and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, to God's plan of redemption. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What a wild interaction. That's pretty blunt and clear. I mean, Peter, how could you miss it? Jesus gave the details. Good Friday, Easter Sunday. Peter must have understood what he was talking about to rebuke him as he did. But Peter missed the big point. Did he think about this interaction that night in the courtyard as he's warming his hands by the fire and the servant girl says, surely you're one of them. He says, I most certainly am not. Did Peter remember this? Jesus told them, spoiler alert, three days later, I will rise again. Look at the very next chapter, Matthew chapter 17. You've got the transfiguration. Jesus is up on the mount. His clothes become dazzling white. The voice of the father here, my son, you have Moses, you have Elijah. And then they're coming down from the mountain, verse 9 of Matthew 17. As they're coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision. Everything that you saw here tonight, tell no one until the Son of Man, which is a prophetic title for the Messiah that Jesus often used for himself. They would recognize that Jesus is talking about himself. Until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. There it is again, plain English. There was no doubt in Jesus' mind that this was the plan. This wasn't some last-minute ploy scheme, plan B. This was going to happen. He tells them plainly, and they miss it again. 13 verses later, verse 22, Matthew 17. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man, there's that title again, referring to himself, is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. He will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Why were they greatly distressed this time and not the previous time or the previous time? Like they've heard this before. Is it just clicking with them? Jesus says plainly, look guys, this is about to happen. Here's the timeline. It's about to. I don't know what about to means to you, but to me it means like soon and very soon. Any day now, this is coming. Three chapters later, Matthew chapter 20 and verse 17. <clears throat> they're on their way to the city gates of Jerusalem. They're literally coming to the place where all these things would unfold. Triumphal entry is about to begin. The Passion Week, that final week leading up to the cross, the grave, the resurrection. Here it is. Verse 17, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, maybe not north, but like the landscape, you had to climb up to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, do you ever have to take somebody aside so you can really get the point across to them? Like any parents out there, you just kind of pull your child. I'm going to take my child aside and I'm going to get this clear to them. Do I have your eye contact? Do I have your ears? 
Jesus takes the disciples aside and he says, see, catch this, don't miss it. Are you listening? Do I have your eye contact? Do I have your attention? See, verse 18, we're going up to Jerusalem. They're like, yeah, we know we've been on this journey with you. And the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests, the scribes. They will condemn him to death. Verse 19, they will deliver him over to the Gentiles. So we're going to be passed between King Herod and Pilate and back and forth. To be mocked, teased, purple robe put on. The soldiers punch him. Prophesy, who punched you? That signs written above his cross, the king of the Jews. Flogged, he would be whipped. The thorns, the nails, spear, crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Jesus knew every detail of what was going to happen just six, five, six days later. It wasn't a shock to him. How do you get more detailed than that? Somehow the disciples still missed it. Jesus tells them face to face. He pulls them aside plain English. See, are you paying attention? Here's what's going to happen. And they still miss it. Don't you just want to say, like, how could you? <laughs> Jesus, Jesus clearly told you multiple times. Were you not listening? Were you distracted? Did you even care? We're awful tough on the disciples, aren't we? I'm being very tough on the disciples. These poor disciples have their biographies on the pages of Scripture, and every Sunday we go at them, don't we? Like, if we were there, oh, man. Yeah, Jesus, you pulled us aside. We get it. We understand this is what's going to happen. It's part of the plan. We're just going to go with it. Judas, how, how could you betray? Jesus told you it was going to happen. Peter, how could you deny? Not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus told you it was going to happen. You said you go to death with him. And then here you are standing in front of a little servant girl. You're going to use profanity to try and say that I'm not, I'm not one of them. The rest of them, how could they just run away? How could they all simultaneously miss the main point of what Jesus came to do? All of scripture is pointing to this moment. All of our faith hinges on the resurrection. Paul says we are of most men pitied if the resurrection didn't happen. It is the focal point of our faith. This is what it's all about. And they missed it. How could their expectation be so far from reality? But let's turn this around. Isn't isn't that just like you and me? And it's so easy to point the finger and then you got three pointing back at you. But what are our thoughts for this Easter 2022? What do we expect? Well, you know, it's just, it's just nice to be together again. You know, it's been three years and starting to feel more like normal. It's been a while. We had an egg hunt with the kids yesterday and that was fun. And we read the Easter story. That was nice. And we're looking forward to ham dinner at grandma's. It's been a while since all the cousins and aunts and uncles got together. I think this will be the first year. Extra day. Oh. <laughs> Extra day to rest on Monday. You put the game on, throw my feet up, and I'll still be in a turkey coma by then. So, And back to work Tuesday, you know, and another Easter 2022 in the books. Do we really expect anything? Do we want to see life-changing power? Are we pretty content and comfortable with where we're at? 
you know, I was going through sermon notes. It's like, what, what did I preach on for Easter last year? And what did I preach on for Easter two years ago? And I'm reading through these notes from two years ago. Um, in the opening paragraph, I'm standing on the beach down here at Little Dyke and, and talking about the morning as the sun came up and breakfast on the beach and Peter, do you love me? And in that opening paragraph, I'm talking about how our whole world is united for the first time in a long time against a common enemy called the coronavirus. Tomorrow is April 18th. When all of those 23 lives were violently taken, April 18th and 19th, just, just two years ago. Man, I'm glad things are getting back to normal. You know, it's going to be nice to have that ham dinner, watch the game, you know, back to work on Tuesday. Do we, how, how can we sit through the Easter story and go home like there's no, there's no ache in our heart for the hurting and the broken in the world who don't know? They don't know Jesus' death means anything for them. They don't know that when he rose from the grave, that meant new life for them. And here we are sitting on this, this big old awkward egg, this huge nest egg of a good news story that's just waiting to be shared with the world. And how could we go home and sit on our couch and just not let it affect us? We get excited about chocolate eggs. My kids sure were yesterday. You get excited about a home-cooked meal. You get excited about our sports teams. Got to fill out my NBA bracket yet. We get excitable about politics and pandemic conversation. I'm sure it'll be around the dinner table today when we finally get back with our families. What's everybody's opinion? I love action movies and thrillers. When the, the underdog just breaks through like a phoenix from the ashes and it's like wow and I finished that movie and for the next 24 hours the soundtrack is playing in the background of my mind and I'm walking around I'm driving I'm talking to people like I'm James Bond it's just kind of coursing through my body and then we look at the Easter story the greatest comeback story there has ever been that the son of God would die for you and me and when all seemed lost and Saturday was silent life burst from the ground on Easter Sunday morning. Does that not just resonate in our hearts? Do we not just walk around with resurrection power coursing in our veins? The resurrection is the moment that forever changed forever. When Jesus broke from that borrowed tomb and the earth shook, the soldiers fell like dead men the angel said to the women who were peering down into the tomb, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Like he said he would. You remember how he said he goes before you to Galilee. You remember this. He told you this was going to happen. Why are you peering down into the tomb of death when you're looking for the living? 
He's not here. He's risen. Don't you remember he told you? And he told you? And he told you? And he told you and he told you and he told you? How could you? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? If we're awestruck that the disciples missed it, they didn't take Jesus at his word, then we ought to take Jesus at his word. If the disciples were here today and we could uh, record their video testimonies through the course of the week and edit them, get them all ready so that we could show them on Sunday, what it was like, they would likely question us. What about you? You weren't there that night. You don't know what it was like. You can read it on pages. You didn't see Jesus die. You didn't give two and a half years of your life just to watch them drag him away and crucify him. You weren't huddled in that little room with the group of 13 or 14 or 15 of us just waiting for the Roman soldiers to kick down the door and drag us away to the same fate. You don't know what it was like. No, you've, you've had access to the whole story the whole time. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is living and active in you. We didn't have that at this point in the story. What are you doing with it? You know Jesus rose from the dead. How is that changing the way you live? Yes, we missed it that night and we're ashamed of that. But are you missing it? Here's the thing. The disciples apparently couldn't take Jesus at his word when he told them over and over again exactly how the Easter weekend was going to play out. But the question today is, can you take Jesus at his word? When he says something's going to happen, can we take him at his word? Can we, can we truly believe it and live as if we did? Are we taking Jesus at his word? So I want to go back to those passages that we read and talk about the parts that maybe we miss. We pointed out the, the disciples, like Jesus pulled you aside, he told you, and you missed it. But there's some stuff tucked in there that maybe we've missed, that we shouldn't miss this Easter Sunday. What does resurrection power, resurrection life look like for us today? So in Matthew chapter 16, back to there. Right after Jesus begins to explain, to demonstrate, to show that he would suffer and die at the hands of the religious leaders. But on the third day, he would rise again. That in his death, there would be new life. Do you know what he explains next? I'm guessing probably not, unless you look at the page of scripture. Matthew 16, verse 24. Yeah, take up your cross. Jesus told his disciples, verse 24. Let, let me know if this includes you. If anyone would come after me. Is that you? Do you call yourself a follower of Christ today? Are you a Christian? If you place your faith and trust in Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, not only for the forgiveness of sins, but the new life that he called you to, the abundant life. If anyone would come after me, let that person deny himself, take up his own cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life, <laughs> just going to end up losing it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is for us. This is the essence of the message of the resurrection right here for you and me. Salvation is found in submission, self-denial, dying to yourself. You can't save yourself. 
You can spend your whole life trying to save it in your own strength. You know what it's going to look like? It's going to look like that fool who built his house on the sand. When the water came crashing in and the wind blew and the rain fell, the house was washed away. You spend your whole life trying to save it just to find out that you actually lose it in the end. Jesus says those who lose their life for Jesus' sake will find real lasting life. What is worth spending your life for? As Jesus said, I am the resurrection of the life. We miss the fact that the resurrection is not just an event 2,000 years ago that we remember. Jesus said he is the resurrection and the life. That resurrection is a person. He calls us to resurrected living each and every day. Matthew chapter 17. After Jesus' transfiguration, he shows his glory. Peter, James, and John, they see Moses and Elijah. Jesus says, let's not talk about this until after my resurrection. Shortly after Jesus tells the disciples, I'll be delivered into the hands of men. They'll kill me. On the third day, I'll rise. Do you know what happens? between those two conversations, directly between, right after he comes down the mountain, you know what he's faced with? He's faced with a father who's just brokenhearted over the demon possession of his son. And his son's having these seizures and it often convulses him into the fire and into the water, this dad is explaining. And I brought him to your disciples. Alas, they could not do anything. And Jesus says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to bear with you? Bring your son here. Heals him. Casts out the demon. Boy's life is forever changed. Then the disciples come to Jesus and they're like, hey, what happened there? How come we couldn't? Verse 20, Matthew 17. Jesus said to them, because of your little faith. Not necessarily the amount of faith, but the object in which your faith is placed is little. For truly, I say, even if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, it's not about the size. It's about what you're putting your faith in. Even if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. I have to be honest. I don't know how to apply this verse to my life. Because I do not picture driving home, looking up at Folly Mountain and saying, move over here and it will happen. I just don't picture that in reality. I... But Jesus says, nothing will be impossible for you. And we get after the disciples for missing the main point, And then we read this conversation. We realize, wait a second. Do I take Jesus at his word here? Or is this just some interesting word picture that I have to explain in some way that makes sense in my reality? Because... There are all kinds of impossible things in my everyday. <laughs> how am I going to care for these kids for another day, two weeks into COVID isolation? I don't know how I'm going to do it. How am I going to get through the bills at the end of the month? I couldn't do it before all of this big inflation that happened. How am I supposed to do it now? There are just so many impossibilities in my everyday life and I walk around like a victim. How am I supposed to do all this? When Jesus says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, and nothing will be impossible for you. Do we believe that? We say Jesus rose from the dead. We believe it's the focal point of our faith, as Paul says. But in practice, we walk around doubting the resurrection power in our everyday. We miss 
the raised Christ, the object of our faith. We miss that resurrection power is accessible to us today. It should change the way we live. Matthew chapter 20. They're on their way to Jerusalem for the final time. Jesus pulls them aside. He says, are you looking at me? Are you listening? Let me tell you the story again. And somehow they miss it. But what if we did too? Because the surrounding conversation right before and right after, do you know what it is? Here it is. Matthew 20 and verse 16. So the last will be first and the first will be last. Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. Here's the conversation that proceeds right after he pulls them off the road and says, I really want you to get this. They get back on the road. They start talking. Here's the conversation. The Gentiles lord it over them. Verse 26. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave and last of all. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you know what the death, burial, and resurrection mean for you today? It's a way in which we are called to live our lives in following the example of Jesus, to submit ourselves to the lowest place. Jesus humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Jesus says, you are to do the same because in my kingdom, the metrics are different. The last shall be first. The servant shall be greater than all. We get after the disciples for missing it, but yet we go around our day-to-day -day thinking it's all about us. Why do I have to wait so long in line? Why can't I get ahead of this car? Why isn't my spouse pulling their weight? It's all about me, 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 me. We forget that the resurrection is all about him. And the resurrection is for the world. It's not just all about you and your kingdom. Sitting on the throne of your life. Here's why this Easter needs to be different. And I don't want us to miss this. These three things we've talked about. Resurrection isn't just an event. It's a person. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. If we are bent on preserving our level of comfort and pleasure and are not willing to take up our cross and follow him daily and to give our lives for his mission, spend our life on something that is worthwhile. We're not going to live in that abundant resurrection life that he offers us. And we are choosing not to take him at his word. The very thing I just harped on the disciples for doing for the last 40 minutes. Secondly, I held up three fingers, but secondly, that resurrection power is available to us. The same Holy Spirit power that rose Christ from the grave is alive in us today. The resurrection is the object, the focal point of our faith. It's the climax of the whole story of Scripture. Jesus says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, move mountains, nothing is impossible. So we can't live like a victim anymore. We all have all the access to all the resurrection power that there is. Finally, the resurrection life is one of submission, self-sacrifice, self-denial, dying to self, so that the life of Christ can be seen in us. 
and the life of Christ can live in us. We're not here to be served. We're here to serve. We're here to give our lives and tell him about the one who gave his life as a ransom for many. So I'm praying for faith for the impossible because on Easter Sunday, Jesus did the impossible. I'm praying to loose my grip on my hopes and dreams for life and open my hands to his abundant resurrection life. I'm praying that I'd reflect his resurrection power as I submit in service and leave the raising up part to the one who rose out of the grave. Just like he submitted his life to the will of the Father, the power of the Spirit to raise him up. Would you stand with me and we're going to close in prayer this Easter Sunday? Father God, as as we gather here this Easter Sunday, 2022, we think about the resurrection on this very day. When as the sun was rising and the women were going to the tomb to prepare the body because of the rush that was Friday, the earth began to shake. The stone rolled away. You burst forth from that tomb. The angels proclaimed the news. Mary saw the risen Christ and you called her by name. You met those disciples on the beach for breakfast. You appeared to many, 500 at one time. You stood on the mount as you ascended into heaven and you left us with the greatest commission, the greatest mission known to mankind. Our purpose for existence is to go into all the world, preach the gospel, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, And we know this promise and we are choosing this Easter Sunday to take you at your word that lo, you are with us wherever we go. And when Tuesday hits and we go back to work and we're into the mundane, regular routine of life, post-pandemic living, whatever it looks like in your context, we need to remember that Jesus, you are with us. That the Holy Spirit, that same resurrection power that raised you from the grave is alive and active within us. That if we've trusted Christ as our personal Savior, his death on the cross has paid for our sins. His resurrection has secured our new, abundant, everlasting life. Rivers of living water are flowing. The the living bread of life that satisfies that we will never hunger again. We get to experience all these things. Our names are written in heaven in the Lamb's book of life. You've engraven us on the palms of your hands. We don't get to be victims anymore. This Easter should change everything. Every time we look at the Easter story, it should change everything. The the resurrection is the power that dwells within us here and now. God, help us to embrace it. Help us to live like we know it's true. Help it not to be head knowledge, but help it to translate to our hearts. This is what we're all about. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for rising again to give us new life. God, we go forth today in that new life that you've secured for us, and we just say thank you, and we stand in awe of who you are to us this Easter 2022.
God, I pray that you bless our church family, that you be working in hearts and lives. If there are those here in the room or participating online, maybe today or later in the week, the month, the year, God, I pray for our communities. I pray for people that they would hear this resurrection power maybe for the first time. And that, Holy Spirit, you would grip their hearts and show them that this is the greatest news that mankind has ever had or will ever have. And this changes everything for all eternity. God, I pray that it would be so in Jesus' name. God, we thank you for what you've done for us, Father. In your Son's precious and holy name, his broken body, his shed blood, his resurrection and life-giving power, Father, we say, Amen.